Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. This is your host, Tim Gotzler. All right, we've reached the sixth inning of Game 6, where we take um, this episode back into the Milwaukee area and sit down with head baseball coach at Marquette High School, Sal Bando Jr. Now, I know when many of you hear Sal talk and you hear the last name, you, some of you think of his dad and some of you think of him. Okay, maybe it shows your age a little bit. But anyways, um, we go into that background and that childhood of growing up in a baseball family and not just baseball fans but when baseball is your livelihood and your career and the playing career to you know the front office stuff and all the things that have happened um, and the incredible opportunities that have Sal and his, his siblings and his family have had because of uh, this amazing game. Also you know we have a really good conversation about um, Sal's full-time job uh, in the private sector with baseball at Prospect Training Academy and we talk about the, the role of club baseball and in high school baseball and him doing both and how those two can coexist really well and mesh well together to best serve the player so that's a, a, a great great segment in here um also you know we get on so we get out of baseball a little bit too and we talk about um the passing of his dad um big sal as, as he references him and also you know in the summer of, of 2022 the Marquette High School baseball community lost one of their one of their pillars. Okay, we talk about mental health and the brotherhood, and um, you know maybe our role as humans and as coaches and all the other hats that we wear, fathers, sons, um, mentors, uh, the the power of community, the power of sport, and and reaching out, and, and so many important things as well. So I love this episode. Obviously, you know for those who follow baseball down in the Milwaukee area. Sales programs are always, always near that 20-win mark. Great talent, phenomenal coaching. Um, you know, one of the strongest programs in the state year in and year out. Um, they're also in our conference, so I get to see Sal multiple times a year. And, you know, lining this episode up was, was a ton of fun for me. So, but without further ado, head baseball coach at Marquette High School, Sal Bando Jr. Hey, Coach, how you doing today? Doing great, Coach. Thank you for having me. Awesome, buddy. Well, hey, um, for the listeners, just give us some of the background. Where did you grow up? A little bit of your journey through baseball that led you to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I get teased when I bring this up, but I'm a California native, was born in California and moved here when I was seven years old. Um, but uh, I've obviously adopted Wisconsin as, as a home. I'm a, I'm a cheesehead through and through. And um I've been here, you know, ever since. Grew up in Mequon amongst uh, the Highlanders uh, at Homestead, uh, but went to uh, Marquette um, for high school, uh, and my brothers uh, went there as well. All right, so, you know, a lot of guys I have on the show talk about, you know, their journey growing up and family and, you know, baseball's role in their life. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but I have to imagine you have one of the more unique stories in your path through the game. So maybe give us a little bit more of, of, of how you grew up in that baseball household and then get into your playing career a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really a blessing as a young kid, you know, I didn't know any different. Um, one story that, um, sticks out in my mind when, I kind of realized what was going on was 1981. I was 11 years old. The Brewers were in the playoffs against the Yankees. That was the year of the strike. Um, And uh, it was a day game on TV. It was my dad's last year playing. And uh, as I said, they were playing the Yankees. And my favorite players were on the Yankees, Reggie Jackson, Dave Winfield. Um, And I remember being at school and they wheeled in the the big box TV on the stand and we were watching the game. Um, and my dad had been a backup most of that year, but towards the end of the year, um, they started playing him more and he had a really good series. It was the last series of his career. And, um, he hit over 300, had a couple doubles. And in this game, I remember him hitting a double and, and, all of my classmates like were clapping and look, looking back at me and pat me on the back. And I was like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I just, that sticks out to my mind in my mind, like, Oh, okay. That was, that was pretty cool. You know, this is different. Um, 
because as a kid, you know, your dad's your dad. He's going to work, whatever. Um, and I was young. Um, but naturally, my fandom started when I was very young. And, and my passion and obsession for the game has everything to do, you know, with my dad. And um, I think it's ironic, but me and my, my two brothers were all involved in the game to this day in, 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 in our own way. Um, and it's due to his influence, obviously. Um, so yeah, I, I, I fell in love with the game and, uh, played through college. My college career was, uh, (laughs) kind of a circus, but, um, there's a reason for that. Uh, I played every year of eligibility at, at a different school, but I only screwed up once, Tim. I just want to point that out. I only screwed up once. Um, but out of high school, I, I was fortunate fortunate enough to go to University of Arizona. Jerry Kindle was a Hall of Fame coach and um, and recruited me to Arizona just three years after they won the national championship. So it was um, it was an exciting time. Um, I was a wide eyed freshman from Wisconsin, a long way from home, and uh, unfortunately, uh, baseball and keg parties were my priority and <laughs> not school. So my career at U of A ended about as quickly as it started. And then my sophomore year, I, I um, had to transfer to a junior college. So I stayed in Tucson, Arizona and went to Pima Community College. Uh, played the one year there, took my red shirt year to get my associate's degree so I could transfer again. And then that's when I transferred to Colorado State, which at the time, was in the Western Athletic Conference, which was great. San Diego State, Hawaii was in the league. Utah, it was Air Force. It was a great, um, it was a great league. But after transferring there, they dropped the program after the one year I was there, much like they did at Wisconsin. So I was like, oh my God, I have to transfer again. Um, and that's when Oklahoma State called, and um, you know, I, I, I'm grateful for, for getting a second chance because, you know, I don't know. I wasn't sure if I was going to get one, uh, you know, after I um, after my snafu at, at Arizona. So finished at Oklahoma State, and it was a, a phenomenal year. We made it to Omaha, and the Cardinals gave me um, an opportunity, and I played two brief years in their uh, minor league system. Um I'll never forget being in spring training down in St. Pete, Florida, and running into Bigler when he was with the Phillies down there. <laughs> it was uh, it was a fun time, but uh, you know, at that level, it's um, it's tough. It's tough. It's cutthroat. Uh, it's a business, and um, I'll never forget my very first pro game. Um, it was after the College World Series. And I, I'm facing Tim Isringhausen, the right-hander. And I had a hat trick against him. And I might have fouled one pitch off. And I was like, maybe I'll think about coaching. <laughs> I think that's what I thought about coaching way back then. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's my, that was my playing career in a nutshell. Well, obviously, you know, I can just picture, you know, you as a young guy just, you know, living out of dorms and hotels and apartments and all across the, all across the country having incredible experiences. You decide to take this path into coaching. It seems like, you know, eventually it became a little bit of a calling for you. Um, so, like, what, what, um, how did you make that transition from player to coach? You know, you, you work so hard. You're doing all these things. You know, you're grinding, you're grinding, and now you're putting that coach head on. So, uh, maybe go back to those early days of you as a coach. Yeah, you know my um, my very first coaching experience uh, is I returned to Marquette. Uh, you know, I was a young assistant out of pro ball, uh, just trying to find my way, running around downtown Milwaukee. You know, just you know, in my twenties, and um, I go to help out at Marquette High School. Um, Rick Brightish was the head coach at that time. And Jim Wilkinson was the JV coach and Wilk was my JV coach when I was in school. Um, and I, I helped him. I was his assistant that one year and I really, really liked it. Uh, then I started giving hitting lessons down at the grand slam by the airport. Uh, a guy named Al Singer ran it and his son was classmates with my brother. So that was the connection there. 
um, and, and then something kind of stuck. I was always a fan, uh, uh, and you know, I was like a lot of people, I was really into, um, the Chicago bulls of the nineties, late nineties. And, uh, I, I couldn't get enough of Phil Jackson and his style and philosophy. And that's when I just kind of started diving into a rabbit hole and, and, and kind of fell in love with coaching. Um, and when the opportunity at Parkside opened up, their head coach, it was a part-time job back then. This would have been 97. Uh, it was a part-time job. Uh, their coach got fired for drinking with players down on their spring trip. Uh, crazy stories. Um, the athletic director took, took over and, and, and finished the season. And I knew I didn't have any coaching experience, but I had baseball experience. I was young. I was hungry. And, um, it felt like a long shot, but I mean, I think they were coming off of a nine and 30 something year division two part-time head coach. It was, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. And then when I got that job, you know, it was right then and there, I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And, um, and, uh, I'm grateful for that. Well, I mean, Rhodes leads you back to your alma mater, leads you back to Marquette High. So, you know, like, give us a little bit of a flyover view of the program right now, you know, as we're making preparations here for 2024 season. Um, you've been there, you know, for a bit now, had a ton of success. And uh, give us a little bit of a state of the union of, of what's the Marquette program right now. How many kids do you have? How many teams do you carry? Um, give us some of that. Sure. Yeah, you know, I think you can echo this. Maybe not at Menominee Falls because you guys win so much, but Winning is hard, man. It is hard. And, and I feel like I was spoiled. My first year at Marquette was 2011, and we went to state. So I'm like, all right, this, this is a piece of cake. Um, you know, and then, we, then we're not there for a few years, and then we get back there two years in a row. And, you know, it's been, I think, six years since we've been back at state. And and I bring that up because I'm, I'm sure, like like Falls and some other programs, that's, that's always the goal. Um, Winning conference uh, is nice, and, and and if it happens along the way, that's great. But our goal is really to to get to state and and win a state championship. And um, my mentors and and predecessors before me kind of set that bar. So it's something we take seriously. The kids understand what the goal is and what what we're working towards. Um, and um, you know that that's what what, uh, that's why we wake up every morning. Um, but yeah, the program, you know, we're, we're coming off, off two years where we lost in the, um, sectional final. Um, what I love about baseball and, and I would, uh, I would tell this to Brian and to Jay face to face and, and they, they may even admit it, but what I love about baseball is the best team doesn't always win. Uh, it's the team that plays the game the best. And, I feel we were the best team the last two years, but we just came up short. And I, I tipped my cap to Greendale and, and Whitefish Bay because uh, they, they got it done. Um, and we were on the wrong side of that. But it's one thing I love about the game. It's very different than football and basketball, for example, where you can exert more energy, more effort, and you're going to get results. Where in baseball, you know, less is more. And that's that's difficult. That's really difficult. Um. So yeah, we're we're getting geared up like a, like everybody else in the state. We've got three uh, three teams in our program, JV two, JV, and varsity, and um, we've got a really good core returning. Uh, offensively, excited about our club, and um, biggest question mark will be uh, pitching and pitching depth. And uh, I'm excited at the uh, the opportunity that some of our young kids are going to have uh, on the mound. Well, thanks for laying that out for us. Uh, one thing I want to just touch on is, you know, you talk about the expectations that were set in that program, you know, before your, by your predecessors, you know, you're a very competitive guy, you know, winning is important, whether people want to say it or not, but people know that are, that are in it, winning is important to the players, to the coaches, to the families. Um, but there is a part of, of the head coach hat that you have to wear of managing those expectations and how handling that pressure and, preseason ranks and expectations and all that kind of stuff. So how do you as a head coach, you know, manage those expectations for yourself, for your program and message that to your players? Yeah. You know, the expectations are there and, and 
very rarely do we have to talk about them because they're just always there. And I think this dates back to even before I was in school, you know, for 30, 40 plus years, um, we just feel like there's a target on Marquette's back. You know, we just always seem to bring out the best in our opponent. They, they love beating us. Um, I don't know what it is, you know, if it's just being an all boys school or, 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 or being a school, a college prep school where, where, where kids feel like we're entitled or have money. I don't know what it is, but we're not liked. And, and, and we know that, um, we know there's a target on our back. So I don't want to say it's, it's easy with the expectations. I think the easy part is my biggest job is getting our our kids to know that that target is always there, which means we have to bring it every day. We have, we can't give up, uh, give away at bats. We have to compete every pitch. Um, we do not make mental mistakes. Physical mistakes are part of the game and they're going to happen. Um, but we don't make mental mistakes and, um, and we know we're going to get punched in the nose and and we have to be, uh, ready to to punch back and we're going to be aggressive and, that's kind of our approach every day um, to combat that target on our back. Because otherwise, you know, we've all been in games where you, know, you lose to a team you shouldn't lose to. And, and, it, and it goes back to something as simple as giving away in a bat or, or not being focused or making a base running blunder or something. So, you know, the expectations are high, but they're really – it's the expectation of being present and being ready to compete. And, um, and that's really, that's really it. All right. So now you got me ready to run through a wall for you. Um, how do you, how do you um, manufacture that? How do you set up a training environment, a practice environment that continues to feed that? Like, what do you guys do um, within the program, within the varsity team to continue to drive that message home besides you standing over the kids and delivering that message? Yeah, you know, that was something that was ingrained in our program right when I got there. Um, I call it the sixth tool. Um, you know, all baseball people know what the five tools are. They're five gradable tools. Um, one thing that we take a lot of pride in is that sixth tool. And I think it's got everything to do with with heart, passion, and, and competitiveness. And, and I, I'd like to think that that is what differentiates us from other programs. We all have guys that can hit, hit for power, that can throw, that can run. Um, but our goal is to exhibit that sixth tool um, uh, every day and, and, and have that stand out. You know, when you got two talented players on the field, um, and, you know, and a college scout or a pro scout is there, uh, watching them play, um, I, we want the sixth tool to stand out, the, the, the dirt bag kind of player. Uh, and, and that's really our culture um, is to, to be a dirt bag, to uh, be the hardest playing team. Um, I started six tool baseball school years ago um, to kind of create a feeder program for the Marquette program. Um, I turned that program over to uh, some parents when I took a, a full-time paid position at the academy, um, but that was the whole philosophy behind it. So when I get uh, the lower-level coaches together, you know, one message I give them every year is, guys, you know, we're really we're really busy in season every day with our players. I I. I I don't have a whole t whole lot of time to coach you. You know, it's hard to coach coaches because you're you're coaching your own kids. I'm like, we all we all know the game. Um, I go if there's anything that you teach your kids uh, this spring is it's the sixth tool. You know, it's the sixth tool. It's it's doing things with a hop in your step. It's dirt ball reads. It's stealing bags uh, if you're able to. Um, you know, it's getting on and off the field. It's just, it's just being a hard nosed kind of um, dirt bag kind of player, and um, and that uh, is something we take a lot of pride in. And it's funny, it, 
It's everything I wasn't as a player. <laughs> do as I say, not as do as I do. <laughs> well, and that's great. I mean, and the coaches that are listening to us that have played against your teams, I think would, you know, if they had to describe you from the other dugout, describe your guys' style, um, you know, that, that probably doesn't help the – the narrative of these are entitled private school kids, all this, you know, this is, this is you trying to feed into this, Hey, this is a little more of a blue collar type of environment. And that's the beauty of sport and everything else. Yeah. Um, so right over the years, right. You've, you've created this culture. You've had this amount of success. You guys are always, you know, in that mix, um, you know, but that there's the human side of baseball. Right. And I, I often, as I was preparing to, do this with you. I think about some of the human moments we've had in the last couple of years. And I remember a game, you know, a post game a few years ago when my daughters are running around on the field at Trenary after we played. And, you know, you kind of gave me some, some, you know, older brother, dad advice. Hey, I remember when my kids were young, enjoy the time. And then, you know, I think about a year ago, uh, last spring when, you know, it was Falls and Marquette and, you know, two of the best teams going at each other and all the hype that the kids want to build up. And, you know, you and I have a pregame moment, and we we shared about some things that have really hit both of our programs really hard, um, and maybe put some things into perspective. So, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe spending some time talking about, you know, some things that have happened in your program last couple of years. Yeah. yeah, you know, Coach Feely was a, um, a a beloved man and coach, not only in our program but at our school. Um, you know, we were talking about Dan before we got on here. Uh, Mike was the Dan of Market High School. I mean, he was a uh, he was an, a, an encyclopedia of 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 Market High history. Um, he was a, a coach, a counselor, a teacher for twenty plus years at the high school. It was no surprise that at his funeral, uh, it was absolutely packed with so many alumni um, that, uh, that admired him. It, uh, it's heartbreaking that Mike did not know how much he was loved and, and maybe he did, but you know, his passing, it, it certainly got a lot of people's attention. It has got my attention, uh, at the sincerity of, of mental health and, and suicide prevention. And, um, it was, it was tough to swallow. You know, he was my, he worked in the building. I don't work in the building. He was, he was my guy. He was my right-hand guy for, for 11, 12 years. Um, I leaned on him a lot. Um, and, uh, he did a phenomenal job, um, prior to coaching on varsity with me, he did a phenomenal job at the lower levels. You know, he was a very creative guy. He and I are, are one year apart in age. So, um, one of his, uh, one of the classes that he used to teach at Marquette was creative writing or in science fiction. Uh, and it was a popular class. So you'd always hear the kids talk about it. And we had similar tastes in movies. We, we loved the star Wars franchise. Um, the, um, Raiders of the lost arc, you know, and all those, um, uh, Indiana Jones movies. And, uh, one thing Mike did, it's, it's still in our, our storage, uh, bin is he took this Brown, like, plastic crate you know that you put uniforms or equipment in and he wrote all over it in sharpie the ark of the covenant of muhs baseball and he's got pictures all over it like that's something like he would do and he literally had his freshman team one year like pay pay homage to this ark of our program <laughs> and it was so funny and silly but that was mike you know that was mike um I, I remember starting in 2011, instilling program rules, you know, um, you know, uh, no tobacco, uh, uh, hustle rules within our program. Uh, if you're, if you're late to practice and are within eyesight, you're running, you know, I mean, what's more frustrating than seeing a kid just kind of stroll in casually to practice late. Like you better be running dude. Um, so Mike had his team memorize these rules. And then at any given day or moment, he'd be like, rule number seven. And his kids would fire off the rule. I mean, it, it was hysterical. Uh, but that's what he did. He just, he went above and beyond. Um, giving me four-page scouting report, postseason scouting reports 
on the kids on his team that I never even asked for. Um, that, that was the, that was the beauty of Mike and his, his passion and, and creativity was, uh, was missed. And it was, it was a tough time, uh, for everybody at our, at our school. And we, uh, we wear his Jersey with pride and, and, and the kids, um, you know, the, the kids love it, uh, to be able to wear dirt bags across our chest with Mike's name on our back. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to everybody in our program and we welcome the opportunity to, uh, explain it and talk about it when our opponent asks about the jerseys. So that's about as powerful moments we've had on here. And, uh, you know, it got me thinking about like, how do I transition out of this? But my question thinks of you and your background, right? You talk about the highest levels of baseball and it's a business and it's transactional and, you know, all the landscape of baseball. And then we bring it down to the high school and the core level and like, where do you think high school baseball right now in our current environment has their niche? Like where can we still have that impact within our short seasons in Wisconsin? What does it mean? You know, I think it's really important. You know, I'm so glad that the, um, you know, as, as nice as summer ball was and as miserable as the spring is <laughs> playing in 35 degree weather with wind, uh, now that we're done with that travel ball and high school season conflict, I, I, I'm glad that's behind us because it is really a unique experience and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I, I, I hate the fact that we, we gave kids uh, a, an ultimatum and a choice, you know, you got to do one or the other, you know, we, you still can accomplish your dream and, and, and earn that college scholarship while playing high school baseball. And I'm just, I'm glad that we figure that out and, um, and that kids have that opportunity because, you know, it's important, you know, in travel ball, as you know, there, there's a, there's a big me first element in, in travel ball. You know, it's like pro ball, you know, you're, you're, you're chasing that scholarship and that exposure and opportunity and, and, if there's anything that I've tried to do being involved with on both sides is bring that team first and selflessness attitude to travel ball. And it's not always easy, but you know, when you win as a team, you know, with that comes individual achievements. So, um, but the high school seasons is, you know, is, is so much fun out of everything that I juggle, you know, the Marquette season in high school baseball is hands down my favorite time of the year. Um, and um, it, it's something that, you know, if kids are lucky enough, they, they should, uh, should be able to enjoy. Yeah. And I'm glad you went there. Cause I, I do want to spend some time in that space. Cause I know it's a big part of your life too, is the travel ball world. It's your full-time job. But before I do that, like I, I want to see if I made this analogy before and try to explain to my kids that, like both high school and club coexist and they can coexist really well in our state. And, you know, if you want to play college baseball that, um, you know, it's probably more like the high school game in regards to team and winning and rivalries and all that kind of stuff. And a little more of a team first attitude And pro ball might be more of like, like the club environment where it's, you know, get mine a little bit more showcase ball, but they both need to coexist in the same space. Mm -hmm. So like you living in both worlds, Maybe lay us to the listeners, like, what is your job? What is your full-time job at Prospects? Uh, yeah, at PTA, I, um, I'm one of the coordinators and a lead instructor. Um, I work mostly on the high school side. Two years ago was my first um, time coaching kids. Uh, I was given a um, 13U team, and I wasn't sure what that was like. You know, I'd always worked with high school players and college players. Uh, so I had no idea. I quickly found out that at 13 U, you know, there was going to be some tears <laughs> in the dugout and, uh, having two girls, I, I don't know, you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'll, the only thing that came to mind was there's no crying in baseball, uh, <laughs> but it was great. I, I fell in love with this group that I had. They're so green and so coachable. Um, that I just, uh, I loved it, man. I loved it. And, and now they're freshmen in high school and we've been together uh, a couple years now. And, 
uh, a handful of them uh, we might see in the GMC as freshmen. And um, they're just really fun to, uh, to be around. Uh, they keep me young, man. Baseball, it keeps you young. Um, and I'll do it for as long as I can. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's my full-time gig and, um, we're, uh, we're hard at it on weekends and in the evenings and, um, it, 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 that's the beauty of baseball. It doesn't feel like work. Um, that's incredible. I mean, so you would be the perfect guy because, you know, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. You hear the grumblings on both sides, mm-hmm. right? The high school coach wants to complain about the club. The club wants to complain about the high school. Kids and families are, you know, conflicted, and I, and I don't blame them. Um, you seem to be the guy that can, like, talk to both sides because you're living in both worlds. So, like, utopian society, like, how does this work best? Because when I watch your teams play – they, although are part of different academies and are there nine months a year, they still have a tremendous amount of pride in being at Marquette High. So, like, give us some advice for coaches and how to like coexist in this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fine. I, I do want to point on that because that is a unique thing about Marquette. You know, we we don't have the feeder programs, the junior programs. These kids did not grow up together in the same community. Uh, so how do they come together and create that, that, that family atmosphere? And I would attribute that to, um, to the school, you know, and and Marquette's mission, you know, they, they often talk about being a man for others and there is a brotherhood, um, at Marquette that dates back to, um, you know, when the school first started And, and it's something that, um, we all cherish about, uh, about the school. And, and I think that's where it comes from because it is difficult to take a bunch of players and a bunch of kids that come from all over uh, the greater Milwaukee area, you know, and, and have them gel the first two, first two weeks of the season. Um, so it, it happens every day behind the halls of, uh, of the high school. Cause uh, uh, again, their, their mission is, is being a man for others and, it's a natural progression and we, we benefit from that. And that's a big part of who we are. Um, but to get back to the club and the high school, you know, uh, we can coexist uh, and, and we all have the same goal as what is best for the student athlete. Um, one thing I often tell kids, and I don't think this um, gets preached enough, is players, they have to kind of advocate for themselves. They, they have to like take in everything from, from everybody. You know, you've got this coach and this in your right ear. You have another coach in your left ear. Uh, you're, you're following this on Twitter. You're reading this in a book, like take all of that information in and then figure out how does it apply to you? What works best for you? You know, this is the goal. How do I get to that goal? Um, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think that's really important and I think it gets missed. Uh, I, I see young people treating everything that they're told as the gospel. And if you do that, man, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be so confused because everybody's telling you something different. Um, players really just need to be sponges and then figure out how it applies to their game. You know, what works for this guy is not necessarily going to work for the, for the next guy. Um, so if they can take it all in, um, and then and figure out how to use it to their benefit. Uh, I, I think that's the smart play, and, and, and I think it um, it will prevent uh, you know club butting heads with high school because we all want the same thing. We want the kid to be successful. All right. So you went to a space I was hoping you'd go to. Like, and this is, I think a coach who's listening anywhere, any part of the state, any part of the country, whoever listens to this show, they're coming in and working with a kid who has been inundated with more information than maybe any kid in the history of baseball, mm-hmm. okay? And I think those conversations can go many ways. Sometimes it's don't follow that account on Twitter. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Do this. Uh, but I think the real value is how can that information, because my guys are following the same stuff your guys are. Mm-hmm. Got coaches in Eau Claire and the Fox Valley or some town – you know, Northern Wisconsin are the guys are following the same stuff on Twitter. So how can coaches like 
have the right conversation, right? That's maybe the art of coaching. I have to imagine you do it extremely well because you obviously played at a high level. You've been around the highest levels of baseball um, as a player and a coach, okay? You have your principles that you're rooted in. How do you navigate those conversations with a 16-year-old that says, hey, my coach told me this. I saw this on Twitter. I follow this account on TikTok. Yeah. There's a lot online, man. <laughs> There's a lot online. And these battles going on online are comical. Um, and I, I follow them just for, out of a pure amusement. Um, you know, but I think it's important, especially in, in our game to simplify things. And, and I put a lot of focus on, um, on the absolutes, the must haves, you know, let's use hitting, for example, as, regardless of style and philosophy for as old as the game is, you know, certain things have to happen and, and, and they just do, you know, and, and that is not debatable. Um, so I, I try to just focus, you know, what's your goal? Your goal is to hit the ball hard, square the ball up, make solid contact. Okay. So if that's the goal, then, then how do you do it? You want to be long to the ball? Uh, you know, being long to the ball is not, you know, I, you could admit that's not going to get you to where you want to be. So maybe we shouldn't worry about your launch angle. Um, you know, you're five foot, nothing, a hundred or nothing. How about we, how about we be short to the ball and just try to square the ball up? You know, it's every player is different. And, um, I think the, if you can simplify the game and really, I, I see this a lot, you know, you want to work on a million different things. How about we just be really good at a couple things, you know, you know, what's that saying? Um, uh, a jack of all trades, a master of none. I'd rather be really good at something uh, than just kind of average at everything. Um, so it's playing to kids' strengths, uh, understanding their strengths, uh, playing to them, um, and just simplifying the game and putting them in a position where they can have consistent success. And, and uh, what that looks like, I think, is different for every student athlete. Um, but it can be information overload. And, and I've learned that, you know, I, I certainly don't want as a coach, I don't want to be a dinosaur. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm following along. I, I just finished my um, driveline certification, uh, which was, um, you know, quite a, quite a journey, you know, the biomechanics of baseball, it's next level. Uh, I, I was like, Oh my God. But um you know, there's a, there's a place for it, but it, it's not the end all, you know, the, the, the game is changing, but has it really, you know, I mean, players of the 60s, 70s, 80s, I mean, they all tried to, they all tried to do the same thing and were successful at doing it. And that's get on playing with the baseball, you know, and, and hit it hard. So no one's reinventing the game. Um, it's just a different way of, of, of teaching it. And, uh, as a coach, um, I'm trying to keep up, but I'm also a little stubborn, uh, being old school. Um, but I think in life and in baseball, it's about balance and somewhere in the middle, I think is the answer. Well, that's incredible. Okay. And that kind of leads me to, maybe you hit it already. Cause I mean, now you're a, you're an expert in biomechanics and you're speaking a whole <laughs> new language and you just got, I mean, you're already smarter than all of us. And now you're oh, just going to yeah, start, yeah. now you're going to start talking circles around us around the conference, uh, all conference meeting, huh? Um, so what are you working on this off season? Obviously you said you just finished your driveline certification. Like how about, how about what are your, some of your big takeaways? Like guys that have gone through the program, you just finished it. It's fresh. Besides all the big words you learned, like what are some big what are some big takeaways that that you're going to bring into your program? Yeah, you know, you're right. There were a lot of big words, and um, I, I wish I could say I felt smart. I felt d dumber actually going through that course. Um, but some of the terminology um, I thought was was very interesting, and in, in how the body moves and the science behind it, um, it, it makes a lot of sense without question. Um, you know, but, but there are some things that I took away from that, that haven't changed. Um, you know, one thing they, after you, after a hitter loads, strides and separates, uh, for me, I, I think the most important movement is what they called the first movement, you know, and, and 
I see a lot of kids, you know, if you can imagine showing the knob of your bat to the pitcher as a hitter on your first movement, that's going to kill you, especially young, you know, young hitters that don't have that, that strength. Um, you know, that was something that, that that's a constant that I, I learned a long time ago as a young coach that uh, has everything to do with success and failure. And I was glad to see driveline talk about that, that first movement. They did not stress it. Um, uh, as much as I thought they should have. Um, but again, I, I think driveline is geared towards a higher caliber athlete, you know, uh, where they're talking about tilt and, and angles, you know, and, and, and launch angle, you know, I, I'll never forget when, um, uh, a former pro player, <clears throat> um, was in our program, uh, coaching his son. And, uh, I asked him about launch angle and, um, I thought his explanation was, was, was perfect. He said, launch angle is the very last piece to the puzzle for the most refined hitter. And, uh, that resonated with me and I'm like, okay, so we don't have any of those kind of players in, in our program. So we shouldn't be worrying about it. Right. Cause that was the craze for a while is everybody, you know, launch angle, but you know, it, it just, I think it leads to a lot of swing and misses and, and, and not putting the ball in play. And, you know, it's it just, again, I don't want to be a dinosaur, but uh, it's, I'd rather focus on other things with hitters than what their launch angle is. Um, I know, understand it's a measuring tool, a measurement. Um, and I think there's a place for it in the game. Um but if we're teaching kids launch angle, you know, I think we're harming them, not, not helping them. Well, what, uh, are there some trends you are seeing in the game that, uh, that you're excited about? Maybe some things that you've learned recently that's made you rethink, um, you know, working with so many levels of kids and, you know, you could probably have more just hands-on, you know, day-to-day stuff with than, than most of us. So I got to imagine you're on the cutting edge of a lot of things. Like, are there any trends that you're seeing that you're liking? Um, to be honest, coach, not really, you know, I, I mean, I've, I, I'm very adamant about, um, you know, keeping the eye on the prize. You know, one thing I, I've really been harping for the last uh, couple of years is practicing with a purpose, you know, just showing up. You know, we were talking about our kids coming to winter workouts. You know, just just showing up and hitting is not going to make you better. You know, if it's a consistent rollover ground ball and popping the ball on the top net, I mean, let's be honest, it's been a waste of time. <laughs> you're not you're not getting you better. Um, so when you're there, you know, it's about being present, understanding what your goal is. There's a purpose behind everything you do. Um, you know, and then and then executing it. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes of all time, Roger Hornsby said, great hitters are not born. They're made, they're made through practice, fault correction and confidence. So, uh, that's something that, uh, I find myself quoting, you know, every other week to, uh, to the hitters that we work with. Um, confidence is a big piece of that. Um, but you know, so is practice and fault correction and, and, um, if the, you know, if the kids know how to hit in the cage and, and what they're trying to do in a cage in those close quarters, um, they're going to get better. But if they're just going in there to hit and swing and they're not paying, paying attention to ball flight and, um, you know, what the ball's doing after contact, then, you know, they, they're not going to develop like, uh, like they want to, um, all right, so you touched on a, uh, the word confidence, right? I mean, Rogers Hornsby, what does he know, right? I mean, and come on. Um, did he go to Yale? Did he, you know? Um, anyways, but uh, um, you talked about confidence, and I think this is one thing I think we would probably agree on in the coaching world is, right, baseball is such a fickle game, and it's such a tough game. And as a hitter, right, where the pitchers are getting better, the pitching's getting better, and uh, it can be it, it can be disheartening for kids to continue to get blown up over and over and yes, you and I might know that this is what's best for them, and but their their confidence is fragile, very, very fragile. So 
give us some of the tips that you use. Like how, where does confidence come from? Does it come from the practice and training environment, knowing that you can do more? Is it from having some success? I know that's probably a, a tough question, but you know, how do you build confidence in young hitters? Yeah, man, that it's um, the, the mental game of, of baseball. It's, it's fascinating. Um, I think there's a reason every big league club has a sports psychologist on staff now. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I think confidence comes from both. You know, it, it comes from past success and it comes from hard work and, and, and grinding and, and, and working on your game, you know, um, much like hitting as a progression, you know, you, what you do on a tee, you take to short toss, what you do on short toss, you take to BP, what you do in BP, you take to game at bats. Um, you know, that's where confidence comes from. Um, and, and you hope that young hitters that, you know, they have that one moment in time where, you know, they, they hit a couple doubles and had a great game. It's that moment in time that they can kind of put in their memory bank and, and build off of it. You know, I, I'll never forget, um, you know, reading about Michael Jordan and, and how in his memory bank, that one moment in time is when uh, he made that game winning shot in the NCAA championship as a freshman in college. And um, he often reverts back to that moment when he, learned confidence and, 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 you know, you have to, you have to mention he's missed more game winning shots than he's made, but he keeps shooting them because he's confident and he reverts, reverts back to that, that memory when he gained confidence. So hopefully young hitters, young players, you know, they have that game in their memory bank that they can revert back to. And if they don't, then dude, man, you go to that, best round of batting practice that you've ever had. You felt really good. You're hitting lasers to all the gaps, you know, build off of that, um, uh, you know, to work on confidence. But yeah, I, I remember struggling with confidence as a young player and, um, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, I remember floundering as a player and just kind of that, that haunting word of potential and not, not reaching my potential always kind of hung over my head. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday uh, being in, in the fall uh, of my senior year at Oklahoma state. And um, we're in an inter squad game and um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm fighting for a job, but I'm just kind of not doing much. And, and uh, I remember falling behind on a questionable call our pitching coach, Tom Holiday, was behind the mound calling balls and strikes. And he calls a strike, yeah, for his guy on the mound, right? And I remember stepping out of the batter's box, and I was pissed. You know, it, 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 it finally took that, and I was like, nope. I, I just kind of – I had enough. I had enough. And um, I remember going on in that at bat, and I hit a home run, and, and things kind of took off for me after that. Um, you know, and that sometimes that's all it takes is that that one moment, you know, you're in an 0 for 12 skid and the, you know, the kids doesn't have confidence. But you know what? It takes one barrel. It just takes one barrel to get it back. Um, so, you know, finding that moment in time, self-talk, um, being a positive coach and, and being supportive, I, I think it all goes into play. Um which is another lesson I learned when I was a young coach. <laughs> this one I'm not proud of, Tim. Uh, I'm in High Point, uh, North Carolina, coaching Division One baseball. Uh, it, it was one of the first few years there. I put a lot of pressure on myself to win. Um, it, it was a tough job. You know, I went down there, and little did I know there were 17 Division One programs in the state alone. So it was, it was, it was, it was hard. And um, I remember we had a one-run lead in the last inning against the team from the New York area. I can't remember what team it was. Um, what was the team that went to the World Series? Uh, Stony, uh, Stony Brook? Yeah, yeah. They came down. This was before they went to Omaha. They came down. We, and we're, we've got a one-run lead going in the last inning. And we bring in our side armor. And, um, 
you know, he's got, he comes from that three quarter angle. His fastball has got a nice sink on it. Let's get a ground ball and let's go home. Well, I think he threw a first pitch slider and he got under it and hung it. Kid hits a home run, ties the game up. So now I'm upset at myself because we called the wrong pitch. You know, I should have called the right pitch. And I, I was a young and, and a hothead, and I took on my fungo and just obliterated the helmet rack. <laughs> just like an idiot. Just obliterated the helmet in the dugout. And I remember after the game thinking to myself, how, am I, how are my kids going to relax and compete if this is how I'm acting in the dugout, right? I, and I'll never forget that lesson. You know, I... You learn a lot from your fail. You learn more from your failures than your successes. And it was a lesson I learned. I got to chill out if I want my players to chill out and perform, you know, and it's just, it's funny, man. You you do this long enough. (laughs) You have, you have moments like that, unfortunately. Uh, And I, we appreciate that. I mean, I think as you're telling these stories, you know, like you, we all have those cringe moments you look back on, but at the time, you know, you're impulsive, you're full of you know, piss and vinegar, right? Like you're, you're yeah, trying to yeah. do everything you think it takes to win yeah, that pitch yeah. or that game or whatever. You have uh, as much passion as I do. <laughs> eh. <laughs> There's other ways to go, <laughs> to go about it. Um, well, again, I, of course I could sit and talk with you forever and I look up at the clock and I got to get you out of here, but my last question is like, and you started touching on a little bit, like you talk about the mental game. I got to use the mental, you know, one of the mental game guys of today, Brian Kane. Brian Kane always asks, you know, million dollar question. What do you know now you wish you knew when you started? Mm-hmm. And I know you gave us a little bit already and talk about the, the personality of your coach and the behavior of your coach going to rub off on a team um, and some of those, those light bulb moments. But give us some more. Give us some uh, empty your pockets for us. You know, Tim, one thing I really um... – I want to be the best coach that I possibly can be. And um, I want to honor my dad um, in everything I do. And there's that, there's that line that uh, I'll admit sometimes uh, we as a team and we as a program, we cross and, and I really want to pull in the reins a little bit um, and just be better. You know, I, we want to, as a program and teams that I coach, we want to be competitive. We're going to have a loud dugout. We're going to bring the energy. Um, you only get one life and, you know, we're going to live it kind of, kind of approach, um, you know, but there's also a right way and a wrong way of, of going about things. And, and um, sometimes I, I give athletes an inch and they take a foot. And I want to reel that in a little bit because I believe in sportsmanship. Uh, I believe in being first class. Um, there's nothing wrong with with a loud and energetic energetic dugout if it's if it's for your guys um, and and not directed at your opponent because we respect our opponent. I, I think we're often as a program misunderstood, um, and, and I, I I want to get understood more. Um, cause we do respect our opponent. We, we do respect the officials. We do respect the game. Um, there's just, there's that, that fine line between passion and being competitive and then, uh, and maybe going too far. So I want to be the best coach that I can be. I, 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 I treasure the opportunity to be a mentor and lead young men. And I, I want to be a better leader. Um, so that if there's anything that I am looking to improve on, it's that moving forward. And, um, and hopefully that will show now we've had some strong personalities in years past. And, you know, I, 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 I like letting teams kind of find themselves every, you know, every, every year you got a different group of guys and what's our personality going to be, who are we? And, And we've had some characters you know, uh, run with it. And it's the, uh, it's the personnel that we've adopted as a team and, and, and we run with it. Um, I have no idea what, what this year's group is going to be like. Um, we're going to do a lot of the same things, but, um, you know, I, I, I do need to pay more attention. 
to what um, how we conduct ourselves because because that is an important piece. Uh, you know, it, it's it's what I admire most about teams that we play against. Guys like you mentioned, Ty Weber, um, an incredibly humble young man who who plays with humility and you know that's something that that uh you know i want uh, the athletes that i coach to uh to exhibit because it's um it's what my dad taught me and it's um it's how i I try to carry myself so i'm gonna hold that hold myself to that and and i'm gonna hold my players to that and um and we're all gonna try to get better together all right. So just when I think I'm done, you, you bring up two more things I got to ask. So you, you talked about your dad and, you know, I have to imagine, um, you know, living in your dad's shadow at times. And then, you know, with his recent passing and all the things that have come out and uh, your relationship in such a positive way and the, with the Milwaukee and the A's and so many great things. Like when you think about the impact your dad had on you, you know, on the personal side, on the baseball side in, you know, honoring his memory, you know, what else comes to mind? You know, I was just in um, in Mesa, Arizona, for a base a youth baseball tournament um, right after the new year, and uh, an umpire walk up walked up to me on the field, and uh, he proceeded to tell me that you know he was older than me, so he's like you know he was telling me how he was a fan of the A's of the seventies, and how he loved my dad, and he asked what he was up to. I'm like, oh, he passed about a year ago, and, and he did not know that, and, and he expressed, uh, you know, uh, his, you know, his sorrows. But then he asked me what kind of man was was my dad, and it kind of it 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 floored me. I, I had to walk away. I had a moment right there on the field um, because he um, he was he was a great man, Tim. He, he you know, I. I I can't tell you enough uh, what I thought of him as a, as a man and as a father and as a leader. He was a humble man. He was a godly man. Um, you know, whether he adopted Vince Lombardi saying or not, you know, when we we were planning his funeral and, and talking about what what Big Sal stood for. It was similar to, to what St. Vince used to say, you know, God, family, it, it comes first. And, and um, I've adopted that in my life and um, and I, I've passed it on down to my kids and the players that I coach. Um, you know, when I hear one of my players uh, at a uh, national letter of intent signing event that, um, you know, he he. he prioritizes God and family and then baseball. I mean, I, it, 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 I, I beam with pride, uh, because I don't hear what, what I taught him. I hear what my dad taught me and, um, to be able to carry it, carry it on down the line like, like that is, is really special. And I, I think it, um, it, it's the part of his, his legacy that I want to want to keep going. So, um, you know, we are going to take a knee before a game and give glory to God and, and have perspective and, and, and come from a place of gratitude for, uh, for what we've, we've been given. And, uh, again, it kind of goes full circle, but that's, 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 that's the human side of, of what we're doing. Well, I don't know if there's a better way to end than right there. I mean, you're Sal, you've, you've given us so much, some incredibly, humble and human moments. Um, you know, you're, I, when I think about you, you're a guardian of the game. You know, you talk about respecting the game and what the game has meant to you and the places you've brought in your life. And I just want to say thank you for giving us an hour here today. I look forward to seeing you in the spring and, uh, and I will let you know when this episode releases. So thank you. Coach, appreciate the opportunity, man. Be good. Thanks for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. You too. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Sal for sitting down with us today um, and unpacking so many things inside their program. Um, I just I think he has a really great perspective and unique lens on on club academy ball and high school and uh, you know a growth mindset and obviously he's rooted in what he does he's had a, an unbelievable amount of success as a player and now as a coach um, and just always learning and evolving and being a you know player first um, and, and player centric 
so many things go into it. You know, he's a proud alumni of Marquette High. He's a phenomenal ambassador for their school and their whole institution and is unapologetically a Marquette guy. And I just love the time I've gotten to spend with him, you know, obviously during this episode, but but off the field too. Um, yeah, and he's just one of the guys that just does it well down here um, in, the, in the Milwaukee area. So appreciate you tuning in. Uh, again, feel free to pass these along as we get closer and closer to our season. And um, we look forward to the next episode. Have a good rest of your day.